Senate President Juan Miguel Zubiri wants the Philippine Coast Guard to immediately remove China's floating barriers in the Scarborough Shoal. The PCG, however, says it's still awaiting orders from the national government. Meanwhile, the Philippines, the U.S., and Japan agreed to strengthen their security cooperation in the Indo-Pacific region. We'll discuss the latest developments in the West Philippine Sea issue with International Studies Professor Renato De Castro. Manila's finance chief backing the proposed total ban on POGOs. And local oil prices set to go down for the first time in 11 weeks. Hi, I'm Carmina Constantino. Dateline Philippines begins right now. Thanks for joining us. For those of you watching us on YouTube and on Facebook, glad you could join us today. Our top story at this hour. Philippine senators denouncing China's move to put barriers in Scarborough Shoal. Senate President Juan Miguel Zubiri urges the Philippine Coast Guard to remove the floating barriers. He says all illegal structures in Philippine waters should be removed, not just to assert the country's sovereign rights, but also to protect Filipino fishermen in the area. Senator Francis Tolentino echoed Zubiri's sentiment. He says China's action violates international law. Meanwhile, Senator Joel Villanueva says Beijing's lack of respect and concerning actions are clear proof. Manila is not just creating political drama in the West Philippine Sea issue as claimed by Beijing. For Senator Rizzo Antiveros, the move shows China's cruelty knows no bounds, and the Philippines should not let such acts go unpunished. As for Senator J.V. Ejercito, an alliance with other like-minded countries like the U.S. is needed to fight China's bullying tactics. That's a blatant disrespect uh, already for our sovereignty and our territory. The Yun Clause awards all those areas uh, to us, no? that uh, we are the rightful owner of those waters. No? Um, that's why uh, what China did, again, in this recent uh, action again by putting all those um, uh, barriers or buoys, uh, floating uh, buoys to prevent our fishermen is really disrespecting already our sovereignty and depriving our fishermen of livelihood. We cannot do it alone, but if we can probably, an alliance of sorts uh, against China, at least um, we can assure the freedom of navigation, freedom of um, uh, the, our fishermen to go yeah. into those areas. The Philippine Coast Guard awaiting instructions from the national government on how to respond to China's floating barriers. Commodore J. Tariela says the Coast Guard needs to be careful on their next step to avoid any miscalculation. The PCG earlier said China only puts the floating barriers when they see Filipino fishermen approaching Scarborough Shoal. Kung meron na tayong guidance from the NTFWPS and from the President our, as our Commander-in-Chief, the Philippine Coast Guard, the Bureau of Fisheries and Aquatic Resources, with the support of the armed forces of the Philippines, will do whatever it takes kung ano man ang magiging nais na gawin natin ng ating uh, national government sa pag-uutos po ng ating Pangulo. For former Solicitor General Francis Hardelesa, China's installation of floating barriers is completely illegal. The arbitral tribunal in 2016 already ruled very clearly that the Scarborough Shoal, uh, the fishing there is for three countries, no? artisanal fishing, Filipinos, the Chinese, and I think the Vietnamese can fish. So the, this latest action of China is completely illegal. 
Former Solicitor General Francis Hardelesa also calls on the Marcus administration to act with urgency on the possible filing of a new case against China. He points out it would take years for an international tribunal to decide on such cases. Hardelesa adds moving to file a case against Beijing would show the political will of the Marcus administration to hold China accountable over its illegal activities in the West Philippine Sea. We needed this yesterday. So I hope that the president, because if the president doesn't do anything, you will be sure that this will become a political issue. It took us three years when the decision came out. President Aquino had already stepped down. It was yes. already a new president. So a new president may have a totally different view about Good how point. to do these things. A legal option is available. Mm -hmm. We should do it. Do it now. Hardelesa adds a new case won't weaken Manila's 2016 arbitral victory against Beijing. Hardelesa was part of the legal team of the Aquino administration that took China to court back in 2013 and won three years later. It will supplement, it will, uh, it will complement, and it will make stronger because our first victory, we did not ask for damages. We just asked for a declaration of rights. They already laid down the rule. Now, the, the logical uh, next step is, since China is doing it again, we file a new case. China reveals more details on its reported rescue of two Filipino fishermen off Spratly Islands. The Chinese embassy says the rescue highlights the importance of humanitarian efforts and cooperation between nations. It adds the rescue signifies the interconnectedness of Manila and Beijing. Last week, Chinese local media reported two Filipino fishermen sought help from the People's Liberation Army vessel after one of them suffered wounds. The crew are said to have treated the fishermen's injury and provided food and medical supplies for the two. The Philippine Coast Guard says it has no concrete information regarding that incident. The Philippines calls for diplomacy in solving international conflicts during the United Nations General Assembly in New York. Manila's top diplomat, Enrique Manalo, delivered his speech over the weekend, where he urged countries to settle disputes through peaceful means. He also reiterated the foreign policy of President Marcos. The Philippines remains a friend to all and an enemy to none. We advocate the peaceful settlement of disputes in accordance with international law. This has always been our position with respect to the disputes in the West Philippine Sea. Inasmuch as we are prepared to defend our sovereignty, sovereign rights, and territorial integrity. As an archipelagic state whose destiny is intimately linked with the oceans, the Philippines is a champion of the 1982 UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. And we are proud to be among the first states to have signed this week the Treaty on Marine Biodiversity of Areas Beyond National Jurisdiction, which opens new windows to cooperate in the responsible stewardship of the high seas. 
The Philippines, Japan and the U.S. agreed to strengthen security cooperation amid rising tensions in the Indo-Pacific region. The three countries held a trilateral meeting on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly Saturday, where they discussed possible activities to boost cooperation, including the creation of a work plan. They also agreed to call out those who violate international law. The three countries also discussed ways to support economic resiliency and enhance trilateral partnership in several areas, including digital economy. Now, for more on the latest developments in the maritime row between the Philippines and China, we're now joined by a distinguished professor at the Department of International Studies in De La Salle University, Renato De Castro. Professor, nice to see you again. Thanks for joining us today and welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Carmina. I hope you're doing well. Doing good. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad. That's good to hear. Okay. Let's move on. The U.S., Japan, and the Philippines forming a trilateral front, and with this, a commitment that uh, the three countries will face China as a team of three. Um, give us the pros and cons of this trilateral front, as they call it, Professor De Castro. Oh, well, of course, uh, you create security partnerships because you have a common interest. Uh, the three countries have, of course, a common interest is, is, uh, specifically in terms of maritime security and also, of course, strengthening the respective economies in case in an era of what we call the risking or decoupling, especially in the case of the Philippines. If you really want to uh, assert an independent foreign policy, we have to ensure that our economy is not dependent on one single power. So the key point, of course, is diversification and, of course, relying on other uh, powers in the region that would, of course, enable us to uh, exercise independent foreign policy on the basis, of course, of a diversified and, of course, stable economy. And that's where I believe this trilateral security partnership comes in. Mm. On the flip side, though, any ramifications, possible ramifications? Well, of course, in every security cooperation, it's supposed to create tension. It will, of course, uh, cause discomfort to some countries. But of course, uh, you form this primarily because of the fact you want to deter and cause discomfort to that country. So that's the reality of international relations. Mm. You know, I, I guess uh, this is already being watched by our big neighbor out there. Uh, because I was going to ask you a question as well, that how can this not be seen as a step towards escalating tension uh, between reality, China yeah, and because, the Philippines? Uh, yeah, because we're, China puts us in a, a, a catch-22 situation. China applies gray zone operation, and we just see it recently, with the uh, you know the uh, Chinese floating down the 300 meter buoy at the en entrance of the Bajo de Masinlo, and of course Chinese actions directed against our resupply mission at Yuning Show. Those are gray zone operation. China expects us to sit down and accept everything uh, that China throws at us, but you have of course willing a willing strategic ally, the United States. And, of course, a security partner that is, of course, more than willing to assist us. So why not form the security partnership? So you cause us discomfort, then we will return the favor in return. Doesn't Chinese action cause us discomfort, cause us tension? So let's give China also, uh, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that compliment. 
Well, in the meeting that uh, the three countries had on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly, they discussed as well possible activities to boost cooperation, including the creation of what they call a work plan. Um, uh -huh. what, 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 kind, what, what form will this work plan take, Professor De Castro? Uh, what are your expectations? At this point in time, I think it will turn uh, more in terms of maritime security, in terms of building up the naval capabilities of the three countries, more specifically, of course, on the Philippines. Uh, focusing, of course, on the Philippine Coast Guard and, of course, the Philippine Navy, probably also enhancing our maritime domain awareness capabilities. And uh, chances are, of course, you'll have uh, what they call joint sail operations, that uh, uh, this will be a trilateral operation conducted by the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force, the United States Navy, and of course the Philippine Navy, along with their uh, Coast Guard counterparts. Mm. Now we know so, what the, yeah, we, okay. Professor, sorry to cut you there, we know what the Philippines is going to get from this trilateral trilateral action, but um, what will Japan and the U.S. get from this as well? What's in it for them? Access to our territory. This is where the action is really happening. Not only, of course, in the South China Sea, West Philippine Sea, also, of course, north of Luzon, which, of course, the United States and Japan are also looking at a possible flashpoint. I would, I would consider the quintessential flashpoint in the region. And mm. I'm talking, of course, about Taiwan. Mm. So then if they have access to our territory, what happens yeah, then? Of course, uh, just in case push comes to shove across the Luzon Strait, uh, they'll be in a position, of course, also to address that, uh, that challenge that might happen if, of course, uh, the push comes to shove uh, over Taiwan, you know, between Thai, uh, China and, of course, uh, Taiwan. You mentioned this a while ago, the buoys that were set up by China. Of course, um, um, this is happening as the trilateral um, action or trilateral front um, it was formed there at the sidelines of the UN General Assembly. I mean, forget about China. Let's take them out of the equation. What does this send? to the rest of the world? What signal does this tell or send to the rest of the world, Professor? Uh, well, of course, that they're, you know, you, when you talk about alliances, minilaterals like this, it's what you call minilater minilateral mm. uh, cooperation. Uh, it is in the middle of what we call multilateral setting like ASEAN, but it's not as narrow as uh, when we talk about the bilateral alliances of the United States, US, Japan, uh, U.S., South Korea, U.S., the Philippines. So it's somewhere in the middle. Usually have, of course, formation of this, not because they like each other, but because as, you know, the euphemism goes, the fluid and changing security environment of the Indo-Pacific. So uh, not because we like each other, but because we find it necessary uh, to basically make certain adjustment because we see the security environment as fluid, as changing, and of course, potentially dangerous mm -hmm. and it's fluid and it's changing and in fact there are two actions that are being awaited from um, the commander-in-chief the Philippine government are going to talk about I want to talk about the buoys that were set up first uh, the Philippine Coast Guard are waiting for instructions from their commander-in-chief what to do with this um, do you see see this as uh, whatever action the commander-in-chief decides to take do you see this as a um, potential um, for miscalculation, potential to so. escalate as well the, the tensions? Go ahead. I don't, I don't use the term miscalculation. Everything is, of course, as a matter of calculated risk. 
nothing in life is risk-free, right? We take the vaccine, it will have impact. So every, especially in the realm of policy, in the realm of diplomacy and strategy, you have to take calculated risks. Mm. Yeah, because what is life without any risk? So, uh, you know, if the president would make a decision, he would have, of course, to take into account possible reaction and actions. But, of course, the worst scenario is to take no action at all. So then, then you get criticized. You're put in a, a catch-22 situation. Damn if you do, damn if you don't. So uh, for my take as a defense analyst, uh, we have China has always pushed us to the corner. China knows for a fact that we don't react. And this is something that China learned uh, effectively when we did not do anything when China took control of mischief free in 1996. Mm. So where China has always put us on the defensive, you know, uh, 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 conducting uh, operations that the harass and prevent our supply mission at Ayunging Shoal, swarming operation, of course, at uh, Pagasa Island, and recently, of course, uh, the situation. Given the fact that, again, this is a matter of political decision, I totally agree uh, with the Coast Guard uh, spokesperson, uh, Commodore Jay Taliala. This is beyond the, uh, what I call the paycheck of the Philippine Coast Guard. This mm. is a political decision that, of course, President Marcos will have to make, uh, to take. Because when you... Time because when you look at when you look at it, of course, part of the game is to be able to sort of read what they're going to do next after the action mm -hmm. that you take, right? Uh -huh. So at the very least, if we, the Philippines takes out um, uh, the the barriers, at the very least, China can always put up new ones. But on the other side of the spectrum, what can happen? Well, China, of course, will uh, react, definitely threaten us, so forth and so on. So. Uh, this is where I think, you know, the uh, trilateral security cooperation could come in. If, How uh, exactly? They would like to assist us. Yeah, they would assist us. Uh, then if we are bold enough, we can engage China in a game of chicken. If we're bold enough. Again, this is a political decision that the president would have to take. And I use the term, probably it's time for us to make a pushback. This is something that China, of course, would least anticipate because China, from the you know perspective of China, uh, let's just put the Philippines always on the defensive. Why not take the offensive, the pushback? Turn, turn the tables on them. Um, yeah, there's another. Yeah. Yeah. There's another. There's another move that's uh, uh, being asked of this current administration, and that's to file once again before the international um, tribunal. This time over the destruction of coral reefs in the West Philippine Sea. Um, uh, former Justice uh, Francis Ardelesa saying, "Now's the time because it takes a while before a decision is made." Your thoughts on that? I'm sorry, I'm not a lawyer. I will not comment on that. I'm not a legal expert. Mm. My area is primarily diplomacy, strategy, security. When it comes to legal issue, I would have to say, you know, it's not my cup of tea. Mm. But what do you say, though, um, Professor De Castro, that all these moving parts, the fact that they're moving um, this time, can only speak well about the Philippines really trying to reclaim what is hers? Yes, but of course, what is still lacking is the political will. The ability, of course, to take a calculated political risk. Because just like I say, everything in life has, of course, risk. And this is something that I think decision, Filipino decision makers would have to take into account. All right, Professor. Just look at the case of Vietnam. Mm. You know, in, in several instances, 
Vietnam is willing to take that calculated risk. Malaysia and Indonesia recently did it, especially Malaysia. We have to look at how Malaysia basically took the calculated risk when China told Malaysia, don't conduct any exploration in your continental extended continental shelf. Malaysia ignored that warning and did precisely what they intend to do, conducted mm. a survey in their continental, uh, in their expanded continental uh, shelf. Mm. All right, final so question for you. Yeah. yeah, final sure. question for you, uh, Professor DeCastro, before we let you go. Um, the Philippine Coast Guard waiting for final instructions from the Commander-in-Chief regarding the barriers set up by China. Um, is there a sense of urgency here? When should uh, the Commander-in-Chief hand down his decision regarding the barriers that were put up? Uh, again, this is a matter of a political decision. I am not, I, I'm not in the position to say so because, uh, you know, again, the president has political accountability to the people. He would have to explain to the people if something worse happened, it escalates, then he will have to take what they basically ask. What President uh, Truman said, the buck stops with him. Mm. I am not in a position to tell him what to do or what not to do. This is basically a mistake. As mm. again, go, referring back to President Truman, the buck stops with him. But is there a sense of urgency? Uh, probably, you know, if I'll be asked, probably it's time that we make that pushback against China. Professor, At the time that China thinks mm -hmm. we don't have that political will. Professor Renato de Castro there of uh, the Department of International Studies there at the De La Salle University. Thanks again for taking our call. Thank you really very much, appreciate Ramina. it. Have a great day. You too. And Take again, care. Regards to move my te former teacher. Will do. All right, from okay. there, we're going to take a quick break up ahead. Manila's finance secretary making his position clear, saying he sees no problem with a possible exit of Pogos in the country. We'll give you details of that story and more when Dateline Philippines returns. Stay with us here on AMC. The Philippine Transportation Department eyeing to award the rehabilitation contract of Manila's main gateway as early as January next year. So far, six parties have purchased bidding documents, with three new bidders joining the list. The DOTR is optimistic more entities will participate in the bidding. We're very happy with the turnout. Uh, we had our first uh, roadshow in Singapore, two days of roadshow in Singapore. Uh, this was attended by uh, more than uh, 200 participants. Uh, in Paris, uh, we had uh, two days of roadshow also. And uh, those who attended in uh, person and in uh, online no, uh, is around uh, 50, more or less uh, 50 interested parties. No? We are expecting them to participate no? uh, in the bidding. No? And uh, we're hoping that uh, there will be uh, some other uh, interested parties who will uh, join uh, the bidding process. The deadline for bid submission is on December 27. The chosen private partner must make an upfront payment of 30 billion pesos to government, plus a fixed annuity payment of 2 billion pesos to upgrade the Ninoy Aquino International Airport for 15 years, subject to a 10-year extension. The target is to raise the airport's capacity to at least 62 million passengers from 35 and increase its air traffic movement from 40 to 48 per hour. Authorities at the Naia downplay the minor explosion that happened at the parking area of Terminal 3 over the weekend. Jackie Pasquale reports. 
the explosion of the parking lot of Ninoy Aquino International Airport Terminal 3 over the weekend is not a cause for alarm. This was revealed by Aviation Security Group Director Brigadier General Jeff Limpayuswanki at the sideline of the launch of the Aviation Security Awareness Program or ASAP. He asserted that based on initial investigation, the incident was not a terrorist act. He said that in their assessment that it was not a work of a terrorist group, although, of course, he mentioned that they also have to be careful and to improve the security at the airport. Wanki admitted that they may have to, to upgrade or improve the fence security to prevent that from happening again. They already have leads on who may have done this crime, and investigation continued. This happened, or Wanki said this, at the signing of the ASAP covenant, where it is uh, the Aviation Security Awareness Program is aimed to unite all agencies handling security and airport operations to have a more united and cohesive approach. He revealed that the different agencies will now have to work more closely together, and this will include uh, undergoing seminars, joint trainings, joint meetings, to discuss various security matters. Uh, among those who signed are the Philippine National Police, the Office for Transportation Security, the Bureau of Immigration, the Bureau of Customs, the Philippine Drug Enforcement Agency, Manila International Airport Authority, and many more various agencies. So we are expecting that in the coming weeks and months they'll be having more seminars, and they will also disseminate information on security awareness at the airport. For example, Wanki mentioned that there are still some people who would say uh, bomb jokes, which is, of course, against the law. And he, they would also uh, give flyers and other marketing campaigns so that the passengers will have knowledge on airport security. That was our very own Jackie Pasquale reporting. Moving on, the Office for Transportation Security has reached out to Senator J.V. Ejercito, urging him to push for a measure that would address compensation issues among its personnel. That revelation from the senator comes after the OTS disclosed around 70 of its personnel have been charged for various offenses since 2022. It also followed the viral incident wherein an airport security personnel was caught on video swallowing money she allegedly stole from a departing passenger. Undersecretary Aplaska has uh, requested me to file a bill for the Office of Transport Security no? um, so that um, we can improve already their benefits, their privileges, their, um, their salaries. No? Uh, uh, so that uh, they would, there will be lesser temptation. So anyway, there's a lot of things to be done, Karen, no? because um, that all boils down to one thing. I think it's really um, poverty or the lack of, uh, of the, or the compensation is not really that enough. The OBS leadership has a lot of things to do in uh, rehabilitating or uh, in instituting reforms in the agency. And I would ask that probably the budget of the OTR will be coming up very soon. Finance Chief Benjamin Diokno says he's fine with the proposed exit of offshore gaming operations, sticking to his earlier stance that the social costs of POGO operations outweigh the benefits from the additional revenue. Diokno cites other countries that have already banned POGO, saying hosting them carries reputational risks and could make the country vulnerable to money laundering. NEDA Secretary 
Arsenio Balisacan earlier backed the proposed total ban on POGOs. At least 10 senators have signed the Senate Committee on Ways and Means report, which recommends the immediate expulsion of POGOs from the country due to numerous POGO-linked crimes. Well, for the first time since July 11, local oil prices are finally going down. It won't be that much, though, so... Hold on to your expectations. Beginning Tuesday, kerosene prices will go down by 50 centavos per liter. Meanwhile, gasoline and diesel prices will both see a 20 centavo rollback. For the past 11 weeks, oil prices have continuously increased, with diesel prices having the biggest markup of 17 pesos and 30 centavos per liter. The Energy Department earlier said pump price hikes could have reached peak saturation, allowing supply to meet demand. The Bureau of Customs looking into information a Chinese mafia is supposedly behind rice smuggling in the country. Customs Director Verney Enciso said they have received reports regarding this. He also assures the public raids on rice warehouses will continue. Nasa side ng financing, nasa side po ng, uh, ng distribution or nasa side po sila ng there are other, maraming po silang levels kung nasan po sila presente dito sa agricultural smuggling. So, uh, yan din po isa sa mga tinitingnan ng Bureau of Customs. Since August, the Bureau of Customs has seized nearly 300,000 sacks of smuggled rice from warehouses in Bulacan, Cavite, and parts of Metro Manila. Some policemen in the central Visayas region are being reassigned ahead of the village and youth council elections. Our very own Annie Pettisau joins us now to tell us why. Annie, over to you. Yes, Carmina, that's right. The police regional office in central Visayas has already started the reassignment to their officers who have kins that are running in the Barangay and Sangguniang Kabataan elections. According to PRO7 spokesperson, Police Lieutenant Colonel Gerard Ace Pelare, there are over 450 cops who will be reassigned to different police stations. Pilate said that they will not reassign them far but just in the province but not in the same police station. Based on their data, 238 are from the Buhol Police Provincial Office, 104 from the Cebu Police Provincial Office, 78 from the Cebu Oriental Police Provincial Office, and 15 from the Sikimar Police Provincial Office. There are also six for Cebu Police Office, three in Lapu-Lapu City Police Office, two from Mandawi City Police Office, and four from the Regional Mobile Force Battalion. There are also those who have family members up to the fourth consanguinity that are running for the DSK election. Pilari says this is to maintain their integrity and a peaceful election. He says that they already started the reassignment on a target basis, and there might be additional in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, Comelec in Region 7 welcomes the development, especially for Negros Oriental, which is under their control. There is no specific number of additional personnel to be deployed to the province yet, but some hundred men were already sent last month. As of the weekend, the Comelec in Central Visayas already started the training for the Board of Election Inspectors that will serve in next month's election. And that's the latest here from Central Visayas, Annie Perez, ABS-CBN News. Thanks a lot, Annie. Back here in the newsroom, an ammonia leak from an ice plant in Taguig has forced evacuation of some residents of Barangay Lower Bikutan. Jeff Caparas now joins us with the latest. Jeff, what more can you tell us? 
Yes, Fermina, good afternoon. Uh, the portion of ML Quezon Street here in Lower Bikutan, Taguig, is now open to traffic. Earlier this morning, the street is unpassable to motorists as personnel of the Bureau of Fire Protection conducted the clearing operation at an ice plant uh, due to ammonia leak. According to Dr. Luis Mendoza C. of the Taguig CDRRMO, the leak occurred at the maintenance area of the plant. Jason Montejar, a worker of the ice plant, said he was draining oil of the refrigerant for maintenance when he heard a loud whistle and at the valve. He tried to close the valve, but due to high pressure and strong ammonia, he failed after three times. Residents around the area were immediately evacuated. Maynard Lopez, a resident of the Bonangay, said just before sunrise, they have experienced difficulty of breathing and their eyes were hurting due to ammonia. As of 9 a.m., Carmina, the BFP has declared the ammonia leak has been successfully contained. The LGU suspended the classes at the nearby RP Cruz Elementary School to ensure the safety of the students. City Social Welfare and Development Office assisted affected residents in relocating to designated evacuation site in Hagonoy Gymnasium. That the Gig Rescue, BFP, NCR, and PNP uh, EOD team are presently conducting an investigation assessing the ammonia levels and monitoring wind direction in the area. All barangays in Taguig have put on alert for possible ambulance assistance equipped with medical uh, oxygen in response to the incident. Uh, the the Taguig CDRMO added Carmina, more or less 10 families were in evacuation centers and around 10 individuals ages 7 years old to 92 years old were brought to Taguig Pateros District Hospitals as they are experiencing symptoms of ammonia leak. The, all employees of the ice plant were accounted for but they are not advised to go back within 24 hours for the chemical to dissipate. Carmina. Thanks a lot. Chef Caparas there joining us on the line. And from there, we're going to take a quick break. Still ahead, the largest asteroid sample ever collected lands on Earth. More on that when we come back, you're watching Dateline Philippines here on AMC. Back with world news, France set to end its military cooperation with Niger. French President Emmanuel Macron says he's pulling 1,500 troops out of the African country by the end of the year. France stationed troops in Niger to assess with counterterrorism missions, but Macron says his country will not be held hostage by Niger's military leaders who refuse to fight terrorism. France has not recognized Niger's military authorities, insisting ousted President Mohamed Bazoum remains the country's legitimate leader. Bazoum was toppled in a coup back in July. Four people are killed in a shootout in Kosovo following a resurgence of violence in the rest of north. Ethnic Serb gunmen in armored vehicles stormed the village of Banska, battling police and barricading themselves in a Serb Orthodox monastery. One police officer and three of the attackers died. Ethnic Albanians formed the vast majority of the 1.8 million population of Kosovo, a former province of Serbia. But some 50,000 Serbs in the north have never accepted Kosovo's 2008 Declaration of Independence. Ethnic Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh begin a massive exodus toward Armenia. After, make that after Azerbaijan defeated the breakaway region's fighters, the Karabakh leadership says the 120,000 Armenians in the region do not want to live as part of Azerbaijan for fear of persecution and ethnic cleansing. The Armenians of Karabakh were forced to surrender last week after a 24-hour military operation by the much larger Azerbaijan military. 
Armenia and Azerbaijan have fought two wars over the enclave in 30 years, with Azerbaijan gaining back swaths of territory in and around Nagorno-Karabakh in 2020. The U.S. government is less than a week away from a possible shutdown if House Republicans fail to reach a compromise on spending bills that divide the party. More in this report. In less than one week, the U.S. government will shut down if Congress can't come to agreements on spending bills that have so far exposed divisions within the Republican Party. A group of ultra-right-wing conservatives has threatened mutiny against and the ouster of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy following a spending compromise between him and President Joe Biden earlier this year to avoid defaulting on the nation's debt. This is because Republicans can't, uh, on the Hill can't even agree among themselves. And remember, Kevin McCarthy and uh, Speaker McCarthy and, and President Biden made a deal. And, and that deal was tough for all sides. Frankly, it was tough uh, for our department. It meant cutting back on some uh, things we wanted to do, some funds we were going to use to improve roads and bridges and airports. But we accepted that because that was the deal that was made earlier this year. And now all we're doing is asking them to live up to that deal. That same group of Republicans who are members of the controlling party in the House of Representatives wants deep cuts to domestic spending as well as to U.S. support for Ukraine in its ongoing war against invading Russia. President Biden last week welcomed Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to the White House after the two spoke at the United Nations General Assembly in New York. Biden pledged continued and unwavering support to Ukraine. The people of Ukraine are steeled for this struggle ahead. And the United States is going to continue to stand with you. McCarthy left $300 million of funding for Ukraine in an embattled defense spending bill before the House of Representatives. It's something unlikely to endear his far-right flank. I'll bet on, on Kevin McCarthy any day, and we certainly have time yet to go. But he's in a very difficult position because the holdouts keep saying to Kevin McCarthy, don't bring bipartisan bills to the floor. We don't want you to use Democrat votes to try to avert a shutdown. But they're using Democrat votes to try to cause a shutdown. I mean, these individuals, these Republican holdouts, are voting with Nancy Pelosi against Republican bills that have been brought to the floor. McCarthy's party holds a slim majority in the House. Even as few as five Republican defectors are enough to derail any legislation the majority attempts to pass. Lawmakers who spent the weekend away from Washington returned Tuesday to try again to avert a government shutdown, which will happen at 12.01 a.m. October 1st if lawmakers fail to agree on even a short-term funding bill. Arash Arabasadi, VOA News. The U.S. has agreed to jointly produce weapons with Ukraine. That revelation from Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky on Sunday, who described the move as an absolute fantasy. Zelensky said the deal includes air defense systems that are crucial for Ukraine to defend itself from Russia's air attacks. The Ukrainian leader recently returned from a visit to the U.S. and Canada, where he met with President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. A long-awaited asteroid sample has landed on Earth, a NASA space capsule carrying the largest soil sample ever scooped up from the surface of an asteroid parachuted into the Utah desert, delivering the specimen to scientists. This is a first for NASA. It was only the third asteroid sample and by far the biggest ever returned to Earth for analysis. The previous two asteroid samples were taken by Japan's space agency in 2010 and 2020. The mission caps a six-year joint mission between NASA and the University of Arizona.
In sports, Asian Games host China off to a dominant start in the regional competition. China already has 43 medals, including 27 golds, to top the latest medal tally. One of China's latest gold medals came via swimming, with prodigy Pan Zhanlei becoming the first Asian swimmer to break the 47-second mark in the 100 meters freestyle. In second place in the medal standings is South Korea with five golds and a total of 16 medals. Japan is in third place, followed by Uzbekistan and Hong Kong. The Philippines is tied in 16th place with a bronze medal courtesy of Patrick King Perez in the men's individual Pumse event. Hitmaker Usher will be headlining the highly anticipated Super Bowl halftime show next year. This was announced by the National Football League and the R&B singer himself. The sports spectacle is scheduled for February 11, 2024. For more on this story, head on over to news.abs-cban.com. Well, some 3.4 million beer lovers have so far trooped to the world's largest beer festival in Munich, Germany. This as the two-and-a-half-week-long Oktoberfest celebrates halftime with singing, cheering, and, of course, beer drinking. Organizers say most of the visitors came from the U.S., Austria, Italy, and France. Oktoberfest, which traces its origins from a horse race that took place more than two centuries ago, attracts about six million visitors every year. And before we go, museums are usually reserved for works of art, but this one in Washington, D.C. showcases more than 150 products from around the world that failed. Take a look. A chair inspired by the hula hoop was supposed to help you exercise while at the office, but simply made people dizzy. A bicycle made of plastic wobbled and flopped when in use. Wow, she really chews! And a doll designed to chew plastic food was also capable of nibbling children's fingers. These are just a few examples of the more than 150 failed products that are currently on display at the Museum of Failure in Washington. Samuel West is its founder. It's products and services that people who invested money and resources into them had very high expectations that good things would happen and things did not turn out the way they had planned. The objects represent a range of industries, from disasters at sea to impractical, pricey, and dangerous modes of transport on land. West says some are downright senseless. A face mask that gives your face electric shocks to make you look more beautiful. A golf club that you urinate into so that you don't have to go to the bathroom out when you play golf. West, who's a psychologist by trade, says failure is important for progress. So part of the museum's goal is to destigmatize failure. In the United States, it's a society obsessed with success. So failure is very sensitive, especially in the corporate world. So this is a big problem for organizations because if you don't accept the fact that you fail, you will not be innovative and you will not be able to learn from your failures. <laughs> West points to companies with products that initially failed, but later evolved to become great sensations. Video game giant Nintendo is one example. They have failed spectacularly with um, different inventions. One is called the Power Glove. It's a glove you put on to control the, the computer game. Complete failure. Another one was a, a 3D gaming console that you had to sit like this to look into. 
which apparently could damage the eyesight of children if used for more than 10 or 15 minutes. But Nintendo learned from these failures and created one of the most successful video cons gaming consoles of all time, the Nintendo Wii. Before leaving, visitors have a chance to share their own failures. Most of the things that people write on the share your failure, failure wall are things that they didn't do as opposed to things that they did. A sign, perhaps, that the subtle message of nothing ventured, nothing gained, even at the risk of failure, is getting through. Julie Tabo, VOA News, Washington. And that'll do it for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Carmina Constantino. If you want to revisit today's episode, you can play back this newscast on our YouTube channel and on ANT 24-7 on Facebook. Keep safe. Keep it here on the news channel.